0: Thank you, choir. Let us pray. Lord, as always, we praise you and thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the privilege of sharing from it this morning. And just pray that as we look at these difficult, difficult verses, your presence be among us, your spirit, God, lead us. That all that is said be of you and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we talked about salt and light from the Sermon on the Mount. And then this week we continue uh, with chapter five, with where the lectionary text this morning. And this starts a series of some. Difficult stuff that Jesus says. It's a series of, of six statements where he says, you have heard it written in the law, you know, don't murder. I say don't even be angry. You've heard it said don't commit adultery. I say don't even look at someone with lust. Talks about you've heard it said not to give a false testimony or lie. I Don't even give an oath. And he goes on talking about these ways of going deeper than what is said in the Old Testament. And if you know me, I think context is important. The, the, right between the salt and the light, in between where this passage picks up, is where Jesus talks about not coming to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. To fulfill its purpose. And then he goes into these statements. And you know, when I read this one, in these verses, this idea about not being angry and not calling someone a fool, we even it came up in Sunday school as we were talking about it. You're not calling somebody a fool. We do a lot worse than that, don't we? I mean, and, and there's, it's a special word, raka, and there's another uh, moro that's used in the text that's more contempt and more, but I, I have to tell you, I've come to think about it sometimes. Uh, usually after the fact, when somebody pulls out in front of me in traffic and I think, "You fool, what have you done? What?" You? What? That's pretty harsh stuff. Pretty difficult. While the text do suggest the words that are used there, it suggests the idea of more contempt towards other people. That's difficult. I remember one time I was uh, every once in a while, I'll go on personal prayer retreat for a few days. One time I was uh, out it's camping at a campground, and uh, just by myself and praying and spending time studying and reading, and I was reading a, a really good book. Um, but I remember then going on a hike, walking through the campground, and I saw this lady. And you know that stuff that goes on in your head that hopefully gets filtered before it comes out your mouth? Sometimes mine doesn't. Um, but I just thought, she's funny looking. You ever seen somebody, you just thought, that, that's, they're just funny looking. And it, I mean, really. Let's be honest. It's, it's just you and m- me and what's recorded put on the internet. Maybe I shouldn't say this. <laughs> I uh, but, it, but you just, you know, the thought. And I remember thinking that. And And then just walking on and being in prayer because I'd I'd really set aside this time to be with God. And it was like the gentle whisper of the Spirit said, and I made her. What? And then I realized, you know, I was thinking, the book I was reading, that was really good. And it was written by this lady. And then it was like, God just, and maybe it was my head reading into it. I don't know, but it, God just kind of suggests, maybe she's the one that wrote it. That we have a tendency judge, to draw up assumptions of other people, maybe just on how they look sometimes, how they act or what they say, or sometimes whole people groups, write people off because they're poor and they may operate by and be motivated by a different set of values or rules than you go by. Or somebody that's really wealthy, we may write them off. I remember a season in my life, I had to be confronted with the fact I had to chip on my shoulder against wealthy people. I was so into working with the poor. We will make assumptions. Assume about other people. We're wired to kind of fill in the gap of a story with, with our own thoughts. We do that often. Said that before, but this idea of the law, and I think after Jesus mentioning even being brought to court, it just gets me thinking about the idea. And shared a little bit in Sunday school about the law. two, two things briefly, and then we're going to move on. I wasn't really expecting to say, but after we discussed in Sunday school, I think they're important. One is, you know, why the law was given. There's ten commandments, and then there's 613 other do's and don'ts. I guess 603, if you count the first ten. But if we could keep the first one. Which is God is God, and you and I are not, and keep running to God and seeking to God and never get apart from God, never get away from God, we wouldn't need the rest of them. Why was the law given? Which is the second thing. real quick, I want to think about the law. And I often ask that of, why do we have the law given today? Why do we have a law? If you, if you do something you're not supposed to do and you get charged with it and then you get lawyers involved. we got some lawyers in this room. you got to give a good defense. Both sides defend and then a judge or a jury decide who or what. Why do we have all of that system in place? Because human beings lie. If we all told the truth, and we all knew what the truth was, and we were all surrendering to but we don't. And we will lie to ourselves. We will all rationalize our opinions. And we think about Jesus. We, we, the Old Testament, Moses giving the law on Mount Sinai, there's things in it that are really seem kind of harsh. You know, if you catch somebody in adultery, you can stone them. That's pretty tough. But if you read the whole thing, the whole Pentateuch, all the way to Deuteronomy, and get the, you realize you had to have two witnesses. You had to have the man and woman present. And the people who were the witnesses had to be willing to throw the first stone. They didn't go around stoning that many people that often for that. Because if you think about prior to the law given, what were your options? What could you do? If I didn't like the way my wife looked, just have her killed and go get me another one. There wasn't a court system. The The law is given because of us. It's not given as this list of do's and don'ts so we hope that we get them all right. And if you get them all right, then you're in and you know who's out. It was given because we don't. And we will rationalize, and we will get it wrong, and we will mess it up. Same idea, I'll give rules to my kids, you know? Don't do this, don't do that. Is that because I hope that when they're 45 years old, they will still do what I want them to do because they think I'm going to punish them? I mean, really? I hope somewhere along the line, it might get written on their heart. But if you think about uh, the Old Testament and the development with people, my, my, almost like a child, you get the Garden of Eden where you just, you just care for a baby because they need being cared for. And you just give them I give you everything. There are, there are a few basic rules, some stuff. But as they get older, and they're toddler, I think about that when you get into judges and some more law giving. You just have to tell them, right? You have to tell them. No, and you get the question with a toddler. What about everything? Why? 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 And you get to the point. Because I said so. Just because I. Said so. You think you know, but I know information you don't know. So you're just going to need to do it because I said so. Right? The law gets given. I even think you see it in Scripture by the time you get to 1st, 2nd Samuel. Israel doesn't want God as their king anymore. They reject God. And they say, we want an earthly king like every other nation. It's almost like they hit adolescence. And peer pressure dominates everything. We don't want to follow you anymore, God. We don't want you as our king. We want to be like everybody else. And they're given that. And if you keep reading scripture, they make a mess of it. And then Jesus steps on the scene and he comes to fulfill the purpose of it. To write it on our hearts that we might be one with Christ and with God that we might follow to get to, as the sermon says, the heart of the law, the heart of the matter. Because whether you want to admit it or not, our heart can be messed up. Our motives can get a little off. And we will rationalize it and we will say, well, I may have made a little mistake, a little white lie. But I hadn't killed anybody. And Jesus just cuts all that away. As I mentioned, when we start looking at the Sermon on the Mount, if you hear it and read it and think, I sure wish so-and-so was hearing this. They need to hear it. You've missed it. By the time you get to the end, it is about you building your house on a rock or the sand. And that's you hearing the words and the voice of Jesus and you responding to it. You can't do that for someone else. It's about you. It's about me. We said that last week with salt and light. You and I are salt and light, and then he goes on to tell us how not by the list of good things you think you've done, not by the fact that you show up and got good attendance at church, or it is what is at your heart. And that never stops being developed. We stall out at all kinds of levels, maybe a very basic level, but it never stops. God never stops working on our hearts, if you want him to, or you can refuse it stall out never stops and in thinking about this I've got one final point story that's why I kind of pause at this one with anger I grew up with a lot of anger I mentioned before being ADD and dyslexic, not diagnosed until later in life and until I was my junior year. But I hated, hated elementary school. And I would be the kid, my, my response was i just get in a fight and hit you or do something or I could be angry. I could, you know, maybe not pick up on social cues very well because you didn't pay attention to class. I also didn't pay attention on social cues. And maybe somebody say something, I didn't hear what, you know, just my response, I just hit you and I had anger issues. God has done a miracle work in my life in anger, but my family will tell you, sometimes I still have anger issues. To where that idea, I don't think, Jesus is not talking about getting the list right. That's what we love. We want to know the list. He is talking about your heart and continuing to develop you. To where one of the most significant moments I learned about my own Heart issues. I won't tell you the details of this story. But I'll tell you the basics maybe. It's debating on whether to say it or not. But here we go. I was in church. It was early as a pastor. And it was an issue that had happened with a man in leadership in the church. He'd done something wrong. And had to be dealt with and was going to deal with it. And. People didn't mind we had to deal with it with a church meeting, district superintendent present. I didn't know the D.S. was going to take a, a written ballot. I thought he was going to make people vote, and people had come and told me they weren't going to vote publicly against this man. They were scared for him, and they were sorry for me. But uh, so we had the meeting. I was right. I was in the right. And I got up and and said the issue that needed to be dealt with. And then I said one phrase. It wasn't a bad phrase. It wasn't a dirty word. It it, It was a true phrase. It was a true phrase and it was true about the situation. But it was that. Have you ever done that? And you say that one sentence or that one phrase and you realize, oh, I wish I could take that back. That one thing that just wasn't what the Holy Spirit wanted me to say. And I could sense in that moment, I I think I've kind of grieved the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't that bad. And I started rationalizing right then. No, it was true. It was true and it wasn't harsh. And it wasn't that bad. It was just telling the truth. But it really was. Went on with the vote. It went my way. Went on pastoring that church for the next year. Then I moved. It took two more years, and it kept gnawing at me. Then I was invited to go back for a funeral. And it was a funeral. My, my sister at the time had married somebody in the family in, in that church, and I needed to go back for that funeral. I couldn't get out of it. And I figured that guy was going to be there. I thought, I won't go. I shouldn't go. Because I mean, it was really, really, really harsh what had to be not what I said but what just went on there but I went and I prayed and I prayed and I was like God I was was still but I was right I was right I won the argument I, I was right it was on my I'm just gonna go and if he's there I'm just gonna whatever if you want me to To say something or do something, you're going to have to make it so clear I I can't miss it. And I don't know what to say, you're going to have to give me the words. Because if I got to pick the words, I was going to say, you remember I'm right. Because I was. And did the funeral, and then after the funeral, into the fellowship hall, we're going to have a meal. And I walked in the fellowship hall, and I turned around, and there he was. And I hadn't prepared a speech Because I knew if I prepare, you know, I love to prepare a speech. Ever do that? In your head? Just have those arguments. And when you win them, it's even better. When I find myself always winning the argument in my head, first i I'm like, you are really smart. And then it's like, and something's wrong. You're harboring something. So I didn't prepare a speech or just whatever. And I looked at him. You know what came out of my mouth? And I've had some odd things come out of my mouth, some bad things, don't hear this. But I just, I looked at him and I said, forgive me for my youthful arrogance. I don't know why that came out of my mouth. I would not have picked for that to come out of my mouth. But it, it did, and then he hugged me. Now, he didn't apologize. He's never going to apologize. didn't apologize to this day, but he hugged me. And then he told other people what I had said. And then during the meal, one other man who had gotten really vicious came up and found me. He said, "I heard what you said." And I want to say, "I'm sorry, because I did some something and some things in that that I wish I hadn't as well." And he and I hugged, and he did apologize. I wasn't expecting that. And I will tell you in that moment, it lifted a whole level of stuff. I I didn't even realize I was holding on to it. Freedom and being able to hear God's presence and respond to God's voice. And I would love to say, and I've never done that again, but it's not true. I've rationalized stuff and I've gotten angry and God has to remind me. There are things he's trying to remind me of now, things, but I believe that's the core of where Jesus is going here. I want your heart. I don't want you to start thinking, I've got enough of your heart, and I, I, yeah, you've given me more of your heart than the person sitting next to you, so you're good to go. No, he wants more of your heart. You don't get to say, that's, that's enough. I'm going to keep he, If if you'll give it to him, he wants more. And sometimes we go in the wrong direction. and He gives us the gift of just turning around and surrendering to him and washing us clean and starting over with new mercy. It's a thing I love that you can't have. The grace without a definition of righteousness that leads to judgment. But if we're just left with a righteousness that leads to judgment, guess what? We're in a big mess because none of us measure up. It's what makes grace so beautiful and real. Because there's a lot of stuff here. I I don't know how you package it into a theological construct that you can label and hand on to everybody. But I don't think that's his point. I think he wants your heart. And died to win it. Will we surrender it to him? Let us pray. Lord, may we stand in the truth of your word. The beauty that it is. You're righteous and we are not. Christ paid the price to win our hearts. Gives us the gift of surrendering to you and then teaching us all along the journey what that will mean. Putting up with us in the midst of our broken moments. Even speaking harshly to us when we need it. Gently inviting us to give more of our heart over. So that we may truly be the salt and light you invite us to be. Looking at the world through your eyes. Seeing every other person as someone you died for. that you never compromise the truth of your righteousness. But you always meet us where we are and invite us. The next step's in you. May we respond to it. In whatever ways you would have us to. In Jesus' name we pray.